Well, good morning, and I want to just welcome everybody here um, once again to Southern Hills E-Free. We are a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Christian-loving congregation that seeks to do the works of the Lord, the glory of of God uh, being manifested in our lives, and we welcome you this morning if you're visiting with us. We are in a short little two-part series of the tail end of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, You're welcome to turn there if you'd like. Um, Ecclesiastes 11 is where we're going to be today. And this this book of Ecclesiastes is kind of a... um, it's just a realist book, is it not? It just kind of uh, causes us to face reality a little bit. And we looked uh, last week at Ecclesiastes 12. But uh, as you're making your way there, I wanted to, um, I wanted to read something that I found from uh, David Jeremiah in his commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, this, uh, he, he recounts a, um, a newspaper columnist named Rosemary Smith. And Rosemary Smith wrote about where she finds her daily encouragement. Uh, This is a known author. I'm not sure where, but um, she writes these words. "When, When I need cheering up, I read my paper towels. Her favorite brand comes imprinted with sayings and jokes and proverbs. And one day, while on the verge of tears, she tore off a sheet to wipe up some coffee, which read, when the chips are down, switch to popcorn. Now, something about that gave her a much-needed boost for her morning. And uh, it goes on to say, when paper towels fail her, Smith looks for some encouraging words on church signs, bumper stickers, billboards, or even on the sides of trucks. If all else fails, she keeps an assortment of little books of pithy advice. One of her favorite sayings is, life is uncertain, eat dessert first. Well, that saying actually comes from the title of a book, based on a story of a lady who loved dessert, but who one day put off eating her favorite treat until later that evening. The only problem is she was aboard the Titanic that day. Well, as much as those may be humorous and maybe even helpful at times, those little pithy sayings, I think we would all agree that the Bible is probably a much more reliable and encouraging source of inspiration and advice than paper towels and church signs and billboards and bumper stickers. And we have been working through that. We've seen this to be true. As you remember, last week we addressed Ecclesiastes 12 under a two-part series entitled Advice for Young and Old. If you're young this morning or if you're old this morning and you know who you are, you should be able to gain some very positive and helpful advice from this. And you remember last week, if you were here, we studied chapter 12, where it spoke to the fact of the shortness of life in such a creative way. Solomon worked through the imagery of our bodies as a declining house. Little by little, piece by piece, part by part, we slowly decline as the storms of life and the storms of age really come upon us. And we also saw the certainty of death, that there, there will come a point for us all, and we don't like to talk about this, and we don't like to face this, but it's better to face this earlier than later, that there will be a day when this beautiful masterpiece of our human bodies falls to the ground ultimately and becomes part of the dust, as we remember. But we concluded that as a result of life's brevity and 
death certainty that we ought to take full advantage of our lives today, here and now. That we are living in a very unique time in which we can take advantage of a fleeting, vanishing opportunity which we call life. And so last week we stressed those points from chapter 12, but now we're going to look back at chapter 11 to answer the question, in light of those realities, what should we do? In the words of Francis Schaeffer in his masterful book, how should we then live in light of these truths and the reality that life is short, death is certain, and opportunity is now? What should we do? Well, this morning I'm going to give you five rapid-fire commands, really, from chapter 11 now. We're almost preaching Ecclesiastes backwards. We're seeing the end from the beginning. But five commands in light of the realities that we've covered last week that if we take seriously, you will find, ladies and gentlemen, this morning that these are the key. These are the secrets, if you will, to addressing the fact that we must maximize our life and our time here on earth. How do we do it? This is how this morning. And not only will be these be the key to maximizing your effectiveness and usefulness and your ability to bring ultimate glory to God, but it will also minimize that terrible word which we call regret, right? Regret and disappointment and, and loss, loss of time, loss of opportunity, and the despair that can inevitably come as a result of missing opportunities. And so I hope you're interested today. I hope you're taking notes. You have a little outline in front of you today. If you have a bulletin, we're going to begin just by reading this text here, first of all, to frame it in our mind. Ecclesiastes 11, beginning in, chap in verse 1. Solomon writes, Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain on the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks to the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them will be good. The light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember the days of darkness or adversity, for they shall be many. Everything that is to come will be vanishing. Rejoice, O young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulse of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all of these things. So remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Heavenly Father, as we come here today, we ask your blessing upon your word, Lord. This is your inspired, infallible, and inerrant word of the living God. And we would take it seriously this morning. We would learn from its instruction, Lord. Encourage every heart today. Meet every individual exactly where they are at, so that they may have full confidence in you and you alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, again, if you have your notes before you, we're going to begin with the first right out of the chute here. What are these five commands that can maximize our life and can minimize our regret? We're going to begin right in verse 1 here this morning. You must first and foremost invest wisely. This is what Solomon says, that we must invest wisely. Look at the text here. It says, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Cast uh, probably is better to interpret send or send out or give out your bread. There's a sense of intentionality here. There's a sense of purpose and there's a sense of movement and action on your part. And it is really speaking to this issue of investments. Any investment that you would make in life must first come from a, a result of you moving, you acting, you engaging upon something. Now we know for the most part, what invest means and what investments mean. Uh, The dictionary definition of investment means to expend resources, usually money, with the expectation of of achieving a profit or a material result. It's an expenditure of resources. And it's almost counterintuitive because we, we think of gathering resources, do we not? We think of collecting resources. But here King Solomon says... If you are to live your life without regret, you must make expenditures. You must spend. I think you will see in a moment here, we are not necessarily talking about money here today. If you're visiting here today, it has nothing to do with the offering. This has to do with your life and the resources of your life and what you have to offer this world and your fellow man and and God. We speak of investments in short and long-term investments. We speak of stocks and bonds and mutual funds. And all of that has its place and all of it has value in life to be paying attention to some of those things. But we're not necessarily talking about those things this morning. The question I ask is, what in the world does throwing bread upon water have to do with investing? I mean, is this guy telling us to go feed the ducks? Is he, I mean, you throw your bread on water, right, and you're just going to end up with soggy bread. Well, some commentators believe that King Solomon is referring to the need to be generous, that uh, kind of an idea of what comes around goes around, and so you give, and if you give to others, then that'll come back to you, almost like a karma in a sense. Some people interpret that, and I don't believe that's necessarily, although we know that being generous does also sometimes result in people being generous to you. That's, that is true. Others uh, believe that King Solomon is referring to the need to engage in international trade. Uh, King Solomon, as you remember in 1 Kings, had a large, impressive fleet of ships. And you remember that even um, the Queen of Sheba visited him once, remember? And I think she was very interested in King Solomon, and perhaps he was her. But for his wonderful wealth and the multiple, multiple ships that he had. And so some people say, well, you have to do international stocks and international trade as King Solomon did. But King Solomon was a very unique individual and I don't think he expected the casual reader just to have a pocket full of ships on at his or her disposal. I think the idea here in this investment here is, is to be industrious and This king is calling us to the importance of an overall commitment to a lifestyle that is investing in others in an industrious way. Generosity, to be sure. Goods and services, to be sure. And you could even be generous to the ducks in your community if you wish. 
But the idea here is your entire livelihood. Everything that makes you who you are should be focused and being sent out. And what Solomon is saying is, take a chance. Take a risk. Do, do something that is not intuitively uh, conservative or, or safe. But take a chance in life. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Be courageous. And get out of your rut if necessary. And venture your hope and make an investment. But will you note here that Solomon says that we are not only to invest, but he says we are to invest wisely. You say, where do you get that, Eli? Look at verse 2. As you're making this investment, Solomon says, divide your portion to seven or even to eight. For you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. What is he saying here? He's saying invest wisely. Don't just invest in one avenue, but invest in many different avenues. Invest, but be sensible about that investment. Don't gamble your future, he is saying. Don't put everything in one venture. Solomon would say, don't put all your wheat on one ship. Your grandmother would say, don't put all your eggs in what? One basket. Your financial advisor would say, diversify your portfolio. And all of this is just the wisdom of Solomon coming to bear here saying, you're going to take some risks in these investments, so distribute that risk evenly. Our life investments, I believe, should be as widespread as reasonably possible. Not just our treasures, folks, but our time. Not just our time, but our talents. Not just our talents, our skills, our dreams, and everything we have to offer should be in this multifaceted, multifold investment portfolio. A spiritual portfolio, if you will. Now he gives us a very important reason here in verse 3. Will you look at that? He says, if the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls towards the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. That's profound, isn't it? Whether a tree falls this way or that way, that's where the tree is going to fall. What is he getting at here, especially under this concept of investment? What is he talking about? Well, he's giving us a reason why we need to invest and invest wisely. And what he's saying here in verse 3 is that some things in life are predictable, right? Some things you know. If you do this certain action, this result is going to come from that. Some things are very predictable, and this is what he says in verse 3. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. You can pretty much look up at the sky and know when rain is going to come, or in our case in rapid, hail. We have all of these contractors just combing the neighborhood, almost like evangelists trying to sell roofs. And, uh, you know, if you take your roof off too many times, if I would have agreed for each of these sales, I mean, I'd have no OSB left on my roof. I mean, it'd just be ripped to shreds from all the nails coming through. I mean, they will change your roof. I'm s no offense if you're a roofer. I, I believe in manual labor. Don't get me wrong, but I'm off track. The fact is, <laughs> the fact is, is that you can look and you can almost look when the hail is coming here. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 16. He rebuked the Pharisees, remember? They asked for a sign. Show us a sign, Jesus. And, Je and Jesus said, um, I'm not going to give you any sign except the sign of Jonah. Because you who look for a sign, you look and you say, oh, the sky is red. It's going to be a beautiful day. And, and the sky is red and threatening and there'll be rain. And, and he says, uh, you know the signs of the weather. You're great weathermen. But you know nothing about the signs of the times. 
And he points them to a spiritual reality. And this is also the method of King Solomon here. The clouds are full of rain. It's probably going to rain. You can probably bet on that. You can probably bank on that. And so we act accordingly, do we not? But some things are not predictable. Look at verse 3. And whether a tree falls towards the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. And you may see a tree in the wind in that same oncoming storm, and the tree's blowing this way, and the tree's blowing this way, and and then it starts to crack, and then it starts to fall, and it's going to fall where it's going to fall. Do you see what his point is here? There are some things that are predictable, and there are some things that are unpredictable. unpredictable. And so you ask the question, well, in that kind of world, I better not invest, right? But Solomon says, no. You, You go against your natural thinking, and you... And you invest anyway. You invest anyway. You invest in the things that are predictable in life as well as the things that are not predictable because either way, it's, it's going to result in something. And the bottom line is, folks, what Solomon is reminding us, another reminder about life, is that life is uncertain, is it not? Life is very uncertain. We don't know. You just don't know. And in the midst of that, the point is this. You don't waste time trying to figure all life out. You busy yourself, you invest, and short of a universal catastrophe, something will likely produce good in your life. And so we ought to take chances, even though we don't know what the outcome of those chances may be. The application is simply this, that we ought to busy ourselves with appropriate investments, wise and thoughtful life investments here. And try to get your mind off money this morning because that's all we ever hear about investments. And that's good. I'm not mad at financial investments. I'm, I'm not mad at stockbrokers or anything like that. But I want us to think a little bit deeper here today about our life's investments. Family, spouse, children, friendships, career. How about your health? How about your hobbies? How about investing in your faith and in your spiritual growth? Some have such a narrow view of investments that they they are blinded to so many other things in which is calling for our time and our treasure and our talents and our abilities. And we need to be people who are not reluctant to invest, but people who are ready to invest. And we should do so wisely. Well, let me give you a second one today also from this text, beginning in verse 4. Not only should we invest wisely, but would you write down the second one? We should work diligently. We should work diligently. Look at the text in verse 4 here. It says, He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. This is interesting here, the imagery that Solomon gives us here. We know this from the agrarian culture in which Solomon lived, that too much wind makes sowing hard, does it not? I mean, even when you're just throwing some grass seed out, if it's too windy, that wind is going to just take the grass seed away. This is pretty obvious. And we also know that if it's pouring down in the rainstorm, that makes reaping hard if you're growing a crop or if you're pulling some produce from your garden. You know, in a rainstorm, that's going to be hard. You imagine if your livelihood depended on this. What he's saying here is this, is that too much cloud watching and too much rain dodging is going to result in you losing valuable time from what you've already committed to invest within. 
if, if it's too windy, that makes sowing hard. And if it's too rainy, that makes reaping hard. But if all you do in your life is spend your time looking, saying, oh, these conditions aren't quite ideal, I better not. Uh, what is it? The uh, sluggard says, there's a lion in the street. I can't go to work today. And is there really a lion in the street is the question. Now, now this speaks to the idea of being paralyzed by fear. This speaks to the idea of procrastinating your entire future because why the conditions just aren't quite right. I, it might be a little too windy today to work. It might be a little too wet today to work. It might be a little too hot today to work. And what I'm saying is not merely working for the purpose of money, but this is working our investments is what I'm talking about here. A church might start a little too early for me to be there. Or people might not say hi to me if I go there. And, and there's other, other aspects. You can apply this to any area of your life. And that causes us to hold back and withhold investments. And we lose the reality that because of our fear, because of our procrastination, because of really our excuse making, we invest in nothing. And that's easier, is it not? It's so much easier to invest in nothing than, than to apply ourselves diligently. And the person should know that we can't control our own destiny, let alone the weather. And so as a result, we engage in life anyway because you may get some reward as a result of this. Now he gives the reason in verse 5 here. And the reason is this. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the woman, uh, of the, in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Uh, the bottom line is there are some things that you're just not going to know in life, right? There are just some things we're not going to get answers to. Where does the wind come from, kids? How does that form? How are bones actually formed in the womb of a mother? Do, do we even know? This is the miracle of birth, the miracle of life. But we don't stand around saying, well, I can't figure out how wind works, and I can't figure out how the miracle of life works, so I'm just going to kind of stay stagnant here and not move and not act and not invest and not work and not be diligent towards anything. That's just safer. Well, well that, would actually, that would actually work against what we're talking about here. Sometimes God tells us what he's doing, and sometimes he doesn't. Uh, and we're not going to have all the answers to all the questions in life. And so what should we do? We should get busy doing life anyway. This was uh, brought to my attention in a, in a graphic way one day. I, I was struggling over something in my life, personal life. I, I was in a dilemma. I don't even remember what it was. And I was perplexed by certain circumstances in my life. And I called upon an old friend that I went to school with. And we trained the same way. And we think the same way. And I thought... For sure, he'll have an answer that I'm just not seeing. And I call him up, and his name is Scott Christmas, by the way. Wonderful, wonderful pastor in Phoenix, Arizona. Look him up sometime. Great, great minister of, of God. And I said, Scott, here's my dilemma, and I'm, and I'm just throwing question after question after question at him. And he paused, and, and he said, Eli, nobody has the answers to those questions. We don't know those, the answers to that. And it was almost as if he said, but you, you, you've got to just take your step in front of you today. And he helped me. And he kind of rebuked me with that answer. He didn't know he was rebuking me. But the fact is, is sometimes we ask questions that we just, remember the psalmist said, 
I don't concern myself with things that are too high for me. I mean, that can be very, a very discouraging endeavor if all you do is spend your time asking these questions about things. And guess what? It's a distraction. It's a satanic distraction as well because there's work to be done today, right? Well, but, but the wind's blowing. I need the answer to this. And why is the wind? We, we don't know. We just don't know. And so that's not a result to slow us down. That causes us to speed up. So here it says in verse 6, Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. You sow in the, you sow in the morning, you invest in the morning, you invest in the evening. Neither one of those may turn out for you. Do you know that? But nonetheless, you do it, right? I mean, this is really what ministry is all about, right? Sowing seed in the morning, sowing seed in the evening, wherever you can, getting into people's minds, getting into people's hearts, getting into their lives. And you know what? Sometimes, like in the book of Isaiah, go to these people who can hear, but they can't hear. And go to these people who can see, but they can't see. And, and that was his ministry assignment. Go to these people, and guess what, Isaiah? Here's the good news. No converts. You're not going to get one convert. But does that stop God? And did that stop Isaiah? You do not know whether morning or evening, uh, uh, evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. It could also be good. And I think sometimes we get, we get grumpy face. We get pouty lips sometimes because we don't see the good immediately that's coming. And yet God is working on things that we can't even see in the future. And things are happening under the, under the scenes and behind the scenes that we don't even know is going on here. So we don't let laziness or timidity or indecision or procrastination cause us to miss out on what might succeed. And we engage anyway. Now, by way of applica uh, application here, I want to be very pointed in just a second here about this. I want to rattle our cages a little bit because I think some of us could be cloud watchers here this morning. I think some of us are comfortable watching the clouds, comfortable watching the wind. And, and this is costing us as individuals. This is costing us as a church. This is costing us as a kingdom of believers because we're watching clouds and, and it's time that we begin to be getting to work. There are things in our lives, are there not, that could be done that should be done, that would be done were it not for this perpetual cloud watching that occurs in the life of believers. Why? Because conditions aren't perfect, Eli. We need conditions to be perfect, don't we, before we act, and that simply is just not the truth. The things that you are doing, yes, we should be doing them diligently and investing wisely, but we should never hold off we should never keep from serving. And there are people who do that, right? There's people who, who won't serve in the church. There's some people, and I'm not saying COVID here. Obviously, we're in a strange time here. But I'm talking pre-COVID, uh, BC, right? Before COVID. <laughs> there are people who simply will not commit to serve in the local church. There are people who will not commit to even being in a local church. This is a fascinating thing when you look around it. The more you look, you will see this. Now, COVID might be 
uh, displaying that a little bit for us, but this was long before COVID. This was, this was a discouragement to me many years, years prior, seeing people, godly people, I mean, believing people who won't darken the door of service and I don't know why, withholding their gifts. Perhaps they like this individual waiting for better conditions in the church, right? Oh, I can't join that church. There's problems there. Oh, I won't join that church. There's hypocrites there. You know what I say to that? Come on in. You'll feel right at home. <laughs> of course there's problems at the church. Of course there's hypocrites in the church. We are a hospital for the sick. We are all hypocritical from one degree or another. Hypocrite. All that means is this is who we are, and this is who we should be, and the gap in there is just the lack of spiritual growth that we all need to undergo. Of course there's problems in the church. That's why we need you. That's why we need you to come in and begin applying yourself and begin making an investment and beginning working diligently as a result of this. Do what we need, but we cannot sit on the sidelines watching the wind and expect to be effectively used by God in this church, in this community, in this world. And so as a result, we seek to please God by working diligently. I want to give you a third one this morning here that is very, very important to us. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time developing this because I struggle with this one personally. I'll just confess to you. Not only does Solomon call us to invest wisely and to work diligently, but folks, he calls us this morning to live joyfully live joyfully oh this is so important look at verse 7 here solomon says the light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun now just let that kind of penetrate you for a minute here the light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun this word pleasant here is the word in hebrew for sweet it's used to describe honey and you know how sweet honey is. Kids, you ever do what I do? And like, I'll get a spoonful of honey. I'll, I'll just dip it in the honey. And I'll just like, almost like a sucker. And I'll just see how long I can make that honey last. Because it's so sweet. And it's so good. And what Solomon is saying is, the light is sweet. And it is good for the eyes to see the sun. What is he saying here? He's saying it's good just to get out once in a while. And this is his way of balancing your wise investments and balancing your diligent labor because am i not right to say that we can spend all our time looking at our investments and, and pouring ourselves into them and, and laboring diligently for the lord and for one another that we can lose a little bit of joy once in a while with this you can be so focused and consumed upon your investments that you forget you got to live a little bit of life here and so solomon balances this he balances the weight of this which is upon us with the responsibility, really, to live joyfully, to do it all with a spirit of joy. There is a sweetness about life. There is a certain bliss in life in just knowing that you are alive. You're not in the grave yet, my friend. And as a result, you can see and enjoy daylight. Happiness occurs when we enjoy the basic things in life, right? Like sunshine, the light of day. All this is, folks, is the goodness of God. You remember, we studied the goodness of God. We spent an entire week on that, seeing how God has displayed himself in goodness in all of the world. And I just wrote down a few things here about the goodness of God that I like. Uh, how, how, about, uh, how about that fresh 
soft smell and feel of the skin of a newborn baby on your cheek. I mean, you've probably experienced this and continue to do, do so. There's nothing that compares to that, I believe, is when you bring a little baby to your face and you, you feel that soft skin. Or watching your young children grow and watching them learn or watching your grandchildren grow. Or how about this, the taste of ice cream. How many different flavors on this planet of ice cream is there? Why? One answer, the goodness of God. And folks, this is to be enjoyed. How about the smell of coffee in the morning, right? You don't even have to like coffee. You don't even have to drink coffee. But you can't dare tell me you don't love the smell, the aroma of coffee in the morning. Or one writer said, the crack of a baseball bat when you hit that home run hit, right? Where you just feel that. And these are things in life. For me, it's laying down about three coats of clear coat upon a just finished restored classic muscle car. I like to restore the old classic muscle cars. Firebirds are my choice. And I'll tell you, when it comes time, you've done all the mechanical work and all the body work and all the prep work, and now it's time to lay down that coat of clear. And it's just like your shoulders drop and you kind of get into this mode of flow and, and you're just feeling it and then you back off and you see the thing just glow. Well, what is this? It's the goodness of God. He doesn't have to give us these things. These are things in life that cause us to live joyfully as we work diligently, as we invest wisely. The point is this, folks, that there are things in life that exist for no other reason than to be enjoyed. And sometimes when I look out and I look upon faces of different people in my life, sometimes I see sourpusses. Sometimes I see people that looks like they sucked on a lemon and they'll they have this look and they'll, they'll move away from things that are joyful in their life and I don't know why. Things are meant for the here and now. Things like campfires and sunsets and stargazing and northern lights, birthday parties and pinatas and picnics and hamburgers and fishing and french fries. Good music, good friendship, good fellowship and letting the good times roll in a godly sense, right? In a godly sense. Letting the good times roll, for God is a God of goodness, and he wants his children to experience goodness and joy. And so where's your joy this morning? Let's really drill this in. Let's really dig deep here, because Solomon does. He addresses the older people. I'm going to talk to you veteran saints this morning about this issue of joy because it's something very important to us. The senior saints are up to bat here. You say, well, why the senior saints? Why are you starting with them? Because Solomon does. Could I point you to verse 8? Look at this. It says, indeed, if a man should live many years. That's who we're talking about here. The man, the woman who has many years. Uh, who is that? You know who you are. If you have many years today, guess what your assignment is here? Verse 8. Let him rejoice in them all. Let him rejoice in them all. Every day. Every single day. Let this man with many years rejoice in them all. This is a challenge, is it not, older man, older woman? This is a challenge because we have seen things in life which cause, causes that rejoicing to sometimes be faint and be far away. But here King Solomon says, old man, old woman, you must rejoice in these many years, these many days that you have been allowed to live. Enjoying life should continue through life. 
And you should be happy in your advanced years. And let me ask you this. Does it not stand to reason that the man, the woman who has invested wisely and who has worked diligently all his or her life, should that same person not have a certain right to live joyfully at some point? Should he not be able to reach a phase in life where he can stand back and say, I have invested wisely, I have worked diligently, and now I'm going to enjoy the fruit of this labor. Oh, absolutely so. And this is exactly what Solomon is saying here. Why is this? Because good times, ladies and gentlemen, good times will not last forever. Look at verse 8 also. If this man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. Why? Because let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. The days of adversity, really. Everything that is coming will be vanishing. This is not a cause of depression, but this is a cause for us to come alive today with joy. He's not merely speaking about old age, but the difficult time that inevitably accompanies old age. And just like the setting of the sun, things are winding down in our lives, are they not? And the twilight of our night is coming upon all of us. But you know what, folks? Today it is daytime. And as children of the light, we will rejoice in the light today. Do you enjoy life? Do you see life as a gift? Do you accept each day as designed for you by God for his good purposes? Do you ever wake up and tell your spouse or tell your children or tell your friends or loved ones, let's make today a good day? Do you ever have that in your spirit to be able to say that? And is your joy in life reflective of your countenance and your expressions? And let me ask this, what would others say? What would others say about you who know you and who are close with you? Would they say you are a person of joy? I'm talking to the old men and the old women among us with every ounce of respect and humility, knowing that I am not far behind. If nothing else, can we not be happy today in the mere fact that we're alive and we're not in the grave? I think we can. And there's no better time than now to live life to the fullest. We cannot live life in retrospect. You know, one of the things that astonishes me is sometimes I will encounter older people who maybe have not enjoyed life and have had maybe a difficult life, and then they... Um, they become diagnosed with a terminal disease. And would you know that I know so many people who get diagnosed with that disease and maybe they have six months to live or whatever the case may be, and then you know what happens? It's like the light comes on. It's like my time is short. I'm going to revolutionize my thinking. And you know what I'm talking about here? Then they live. And they start checking off all these wonderful, wonderful events and activities and outings of their, uh, what do we call it, bucket list, right? And they live like they've never lived before. And by the way, that's wonderful. And if you find yourself in that situation, wonderful. I say from the words of Solomon, go live. But I ask you the question today, what if you don't have a terminal disease? What if you have not been diagnosed? Is there any less reason not to go out and live and thrive and enjoy this wonderful, wonderful life that God has given us? Why wait, is what I'm saying, until you are diagnosed with that, to see. And this is why Solomon is talking about these very, very challenging and difficult realities of life. It's time that we stop complaining about our pain and our problems 
And it's time we start living. For Psalm 118 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I love the words of Master Handel. George Friedrich Handel who wrote the song, Let the righteous be glad. Let them also be merry and joyful. Let them rejoice before their God. The question this morning is, are you rejoicing before God today? Well, you say, that's enough attention to the old people. What about the young people here? Well, Solomon handles them too. Can I point you to verse 9 here? He was pretty rough on the old people there. What about the young? Look at verse 9. It's the same assignment. Rejoice, young man. (laughs) You're not going to get away with this. Rejoice also, young man, during your childhood. And let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. This is interesting here. Solomon calls not only those with many years to rejoice, but also those with few years to rejoice. Here the young man, the young woman is called to a lifetime quest of joy in the season of youth. Joy, cheerfulness, exhilaration. And I also see this on some young people. I see some very happy young people, but I also see some young people who are very sad. I see some young teenagers sometimes that just have kind of pouty face on them. And there's so much ahead of you, young person. There's so much ability to thrive and and be joyful. So many reasons to be joyful. But here, it's interesting, young man, young woman. It's interesting that joy is not only something that is available, not only something that is permitted, not only something that is allowable for you, but will you note the text? It is commanded. It is commanded. It says, rejoice, young man, during childhood, and let your heart be pleasant in the days of young manhood, as if for one moment you actually do have control over your heart, and that it is to be in a state of pleasantness. This is a challenge to those of our youth realizing The reason being is that you are in a state of life that will not last. You are called to rejoice and you are called to enjoy the blessings of your youth. By application to you, youth man, youth woman, you are younger, stronger, brighter, sharper than you'll ever be. And you are invincible in this phase of life. You have few cares. You have few responsibilities. You have the freedom to pivot and change direction on a dime. The cement has not yet gelled around your feet and you have the ability right now to pursue things and to engage life with vitality and you are responsible for your heart. Ecclesiastes 3.12 says there is nothing better than to rejoice and do good in one's lifetime, to eat and to drink and to see good in one's labor. This is the gift of God. 3.22 speaks about being happy in all of our activities. And 5.18 says, this is a reward. So young and old, are you enjoying life this morning? I need to give you a fourth point here as we move on and as we close out this text. Not only should we invest wisely and work diligently and live joyfully, but fourthly, we need to pursue passionately. We need to pursue passionately. This is uh, found in the end of verse 9. Speaking to the young man, but really to all of us, we can learn from this. Look what it says. Pursue passionately. Where's that? And follow, it says, the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. 
Here King Solomon is saying that we need to follow the impulses of our heart and the desires of our eyes. Heart being the mission control center, heart from which flows the issues of life. We understand the heart can be dark. We understand it can be corrupt. We understand your heart can mislead you from scripture. But here God is also saying that he uses his heart to lead you. And he puts longings in your hearts. And he puts impulses in your hearts and inclinations within your hearts. And it's important for you, especially in youth, to be sensitive to those and to respond to them and follow them. Eyes here he speaks of being the same issue. Eyes can draw us into sin, right? They can draw us into lust. Uh, Our eyes can cause us to covet things that don't belong to us. And our eyes, even Jesus said, could be better being plucked out if they're being used for the wrong purposes. But here, God puts things in front of your eyes also, which can result in good things, which can result in good paths taken. And he can direct our steps through placing options in front of our eyes and placing things that are good for us to follow and to pursue in front of our eyes and within our hearts. And this is the delight and the pleasure of pursuit, going wherever your eyes take you and chasing what calls you, your dreams, your goals, your aspirations, your hopes, your heart's desire, Solomon says, go get it. I release you, young person, as Solomon is releasing you, that if your eyes see it, and if your heart longs for it, go get it, tiger. Go get it. Go chase after it with everything in your being. Go get it. Time is short. Grab this while you are able, young person. Now at this point, The older people of the congregation are saying, hold on a minute, Eli. Are we sure we can trust our young people with that much responsibility? Can we really trust them to to just take whatever's in their heart and go after whatever they see? Well, it's not entirely a blank check. Would you look at verse 9 here? It says, follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet no." that God will bring you to judgment for all of these things. Oh, I see. So it's not just carte blanche. It's not just a blank check that I can just do whatever I want with any uh, thought of accountability or consequences. Here, the judgment here referring to the specific judgment. For the ungodly, it is the great white throne judgment of God where the books will be opened And the accounts will be reckoned for the unbeliever. But for the believer, it's the Bema seat of Christ where we will suffer loss or we will gain reward depending on how we have lived our life. It's not an issue of salvation for the believer, the judgment, but it is an issue of reward. And so there's a sense of accountability here that we can correct our course and guide us. God is not a cosmic killjoy. He just knows that everything we do matters for eternity. And joy is to be served, uh, pursued rather within the boundaries of virtue as set by God. Well, the last verse gives us a little hint here of how we're to do this. You say, Eli, you know, life is hard and challenging. How do I do this with all of the things that come in around me and cloud me and, and kind of distract me from all of this? Well, Solomon knows this as well. And when you look at verse 10 here, he gives us a twofold process here of how we're to deal with some of these things that crowd in on our joy and our vision and our dreams and all of these things. How do we live joyfully? Two ways. Number one, he says, verse 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. These two things are very important as we consider a text like this. 
because there are factors working against us in this quest for joy, is there not? There are realities here that we work with. He says, remove vexation from your heart. What is this? You could just jot down unnecessary emotional stress. Unnecessary emotional stress. We know there's certain stressors out there in life that are going to be necessary. We're going to have to bear them. It's part of life. But there's also a ton of unnecessary emotional stress, is there not? There's a lot of things we allow and we, we collect them and we take them on to our spirits and our emotions and we just don't need them. It's unnecessary burdens here. Vexation is the word. I like the way the New American Standard translates that. Vexation. What is this? This is um, anger and grief. This is offense. This is trouble. This is anxiety and worry and sorrow and guilt and, and despair and all the things which if you get caught up in that, that will trap you so fast. And here these things which trouble the heart, Solomon says you've got to remove them. You've got to get them out of your heart. You've got to move them away from you. You are called to remove this unnecessary emotional stress and anxiety, which is the first and foremost thief of your joy. It's robbing your joy. There are some things not in our control, but there are some things within our control, and we need to dump them. I, uh, I used this word once. Uh, an individual came in, I can't remember, came into my office, and this was while I was still uh, in law enforcement. He came in and he just kind of unloaded a bunch of stuff on me that I just felt like I can't help you with this. I can't really guide you with this. And it, it was really problems that he probably shouldn't even been taking on himself. And I just said, that, that vexes me. And he was like, vexes you? What does that mean? That vexes me. And I just realized that, you know how, some of that stuff will stick to you, right, if you're not careful, and, and it's, it sticks to you, and you just have to say, that vexes me, it's out, and don't let that attract itself to you. And then Solomon says also, as, as we conclude here, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. What is this? This is the outer man. We just ag- address the inner man and the emotional state that we can sometimes get by collecting things we don't need. This is the outer man. Put away pain from your body. What is this? Unnecessary physical pain. Unnecessary physical pain. Just like emotional pain, things can cause us physical pain and physical harm. Perhaps it's an illness that you carry or an injury. There are things that you will have to bear in this life. We understand it's a fallen world. Perhaps an accident or a disability and things that can't change. But perhaps it's a habit or an activity Or something that you did because, well, I did this when I was young, and so I should be able to do it now. And maybe that sport or whatever it may be that you continue to pursue, but gives you more and more pain as you pursue it, but you keep doing it anyway because you think you're the youth man. And it might be time to let that go and and let some of those younger bucks swing the sword. You know what I'm saying? And, and so we, we look at our physical lives as well. And some of you may need to see a doctor. Can I just put it bluntly? Some of you may need, like me, need to see a dentist for that little gnawing pain. And you hope it's a cavity, but it could be the root canal. But either way, it's time to face reality that we need to put pain away from our bodies as well as the emotional stress out of our bodies. Solomon is a realist this morning, addressing both the inner and outer man, addressing both the young and old man or woman 
And he gives us this final reason why. Verse 10. We should remove vexation from our heart and put away pain from our body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Oh, I saw that in our video today. Did you see those little children with such joy and such exhilaration? And you know, you worry sometimes about the time that is coming for those cute little ones who experience as they grow up and they walk through the dark valleys and the dark shadows of life which will wipe those smiles right off their face. You know what I'm talking about. But right now, especially for them, is the day of youth. And I said last week, if you're not dead yet, you're in the day of youth as well. Yes, there's old man. Yes, there's young men. But the fact that all of us understand this when it says childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Literally, this word means that um, youth and the um, um, blackness of hair. <laughs> we talked about hair last week. Youth and the blackness of hair are fleeting is what this says. And it is the dawn of life in which we live and we must maximize that. Well, we must invest wisely, work diligently, live joyfully, pursue passionately. And I'm just going to give you this quick final one here. Think theologically. All of this is important to, to understand within a concept of our God. Think theologically. That means that we think about God. You say, well, Eli, you're out of text, which means you're out of time, right? It does. I am out of text, and I am out of time, but let me just point you to this last point here, which is found in chapter 12. That's your last point here. We've already covered it, but I need to remind you of it. Think theologically. Where do you get that? 12.1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. It's as simple as that. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. You remember we talked about this before, 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 before all of these other rainy days come, we remember our creator. And so are you remembering him this morning? Or have you forgotten? Have you forgotten your creator? And it's time for you to come back to your creator. And when you remember your creator, you must first remember his son who came and died and gave himself as a ransom for many. That sinners like you and sinners like me who, who mess up our lives, do we not? We all sow seeds that are not in the direction of what we've heard this morning. We all have made poor investments, have we not? Not wise ones. We all have worked lazily, if worked at all at some times. And we've lived without joy. And we've pursued things perhaps passionately that need to be accounted for properly before God. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he came, to absorb all of that. And there's times we haven't thought about God and that we should come back today to do so. I want to close with a, a moving story from Philip Ryken. He's a commentator on Ecclesiastes. I recommend his book to all of you. He tells a story of his grandfather who lived into his early 90s. And he began finding it difficult to remember small details. We've, we've seen this. We've maybe lived some of this. These, this lack of memory of small details quickly eroded into uh, larger details where his grandfather could not remember. And soon he came to his life in his 90s where he couldn't remember anything. It was extremely frustrating for his family. It was extremely frustrating to him, especially because he knew he was confused about something, but he couldn't figure out why. And he didn't know why this was happening to him. And one day in frustration, he 
He was before his daughter, who is this commentator's mother. And he says to his daughter, looking at her in despair, saying, I can't remember who I am. To which his daughter lovingly replied, that's okay, Dad. I remember who you are. And I'm going to take care of everything you need. What blessedness, what hope, what security that just the family love of daughter for father and the son watching this who later became a commentator and and a preacher of the word of God. And I will just tell you today, I use that illustration because there is such hope and security in that, but I will tell you there is much more hope and security in your loving father. And the point behind this today is that if you have a relationship with your heavenly father through the Lord Jesus Christ, that is remembering your creator in the days of your youth, loved ones. That is what that means. And I submit to you that when you remember your creator, your creator will remember you. He will never forget you. He will never leave you as orphans, never leave you stranded. He will remember you. Well, I trust that your heart has been stirred this morning, have been, having been made aware to pay attention to our mortality, but more importantly, pay attention to these investments. Pay attention to our life's work and why we exist. And pay attention to joy. And pay attention to those passions, which are fleeting, fleeting opportunities that we must engage in today. But most importantly, pay attention to our Creator God, who will then pay attention to us. I'd ask that you stand today as we close. We're going to be singing a song here shortly that speaks to our lives being a complete investment to God. And as we sing this song, I want you to look at all of the different ways this song calls us to love and serve God. See how many different investments are being made from from this piece of music that, that we'll sing here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful, wonderful congregation. I thank you that They have come here week in and week out to hear your word, to be challenged by it. Lord, I I thank you for their diligence. This is an investment on their part as well. I thank you that they see this as something that is important for their lives. I pray that every heart here would be encouraged today. And if anybody comes with discouragement or heaviness of heart, Lord, by your grace, may they remove that vexation from their spirit. I pray for those who struggle with physical pain, challenges that that can rob our joy. Lord, would you give options even today that they can put that away from their bodies? Thank you for the medical profession and the wonderful ways in which you heal us today. Lord, ultimately, I just pray that each and every member here today would see their life as an ultimate investment. And Lord, that we would be wise with it. Thank you for the opportunity now to return thanks and worship and song. Move these truths deep into our hearts this day, we pray, for the sake of your Son and for his glory. Amen.